wonderful to see all your lovely faces this morning. You know, if you're anything like me, and this doesn't include Mich Michelle or Vicki, but if you're anything like me, you just don't get enough exercise. So, in his wisdom, God decreed that we become a little forgetful. We uh, have to search for our glasses. Happen to anybody? We have to search for our keys. And we have to search for our car that's somewhere in this humongous parking lot. Therefore, getting more walking in. There you go. God is so good. And then he saw another need. He, he helped, helped us to kind of, oh, loosen our, lose our coordination a tiny bit. So we would drop things. So we have to stretch and bend to pick up their, those items. Therefore, getting more exercise. Isn't God good? Yes. Well, this morning we are reviewing chapters 7 and 8. Uh, but chapter... 7 verse 1 begins at kind of an inconvenient spot. So speaking of exercise, we're going to mentally just take a giant step back into a few verses of chapter 6 in order that we can get the full significance of what Paul is teaching us in verse 1 of chapter 7. Okay, are you with me? So in these chapter 6 verses, Paul is comparing light and darkness, righteousness and wickedness, and the Lord Jesus Christ and Belial. Paul is telling the Corinthians, he's, he's really pleading with them to completely separate themselves from worshiping with unbelievers in the temple and more so from worshiping idols because in fact they were really worshiping demons. In chapter 6, Paul talks about the promises of God, promises that are given by the Lord God Almighty the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies. And what are these promises? Chapter 6 tells us the fourfold promises of God. He will dwell with his people. He will walk with us. He will be our God. And he will make us his people. And these promises can uplift us and strengthen us no matter what trials we are going through. So let's take a look at verse 1 of chapter 7, which reads, Having therefore these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of flesh and spirit and perfect our holiness and fear and reverence of God. So, Having, therefore, these promises, now we know what the promises of God are, that he will dwell with us. Continuing with the verse, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of flesh and spirit. In their pagan worship, the Corinthians contaminated their bodies with association with temple prostitutes and drunkenness and gluttony, and they contaminated their minds and their spirits with the darkness and confusion and the blasphemous, error-filled teaching in the temple. And in contrast, Paul is teaching the Corinthians that as believers, God dwells within their hearts and makes our body his temple. The Corinthians had to break with their pagan culture and serve God with heart and soul and mind. Because as we continue to look at verse one, 
we are to be perfecting our holiness in the fear and reverence of the Lord. So how does this powerful verse apply to us? It means that we seek out a church that continuously proclaims the gospel message, opposed to a church that teaches a human-based means of salvation. False religion, no matter what its brand name, teaches that you are required to do things to earn your way to heaven. But as believers, we know that everything necessary for salvation has been done by the risen Christ. And all we need to do is to trust in his completed work on the cross. So the message of verse 1 is God's promises, purifying ourselves, and perfecting holiness. In verse 2, Paul takes a new direction. The Corinthians had concerns and doubts about Paul, and they had no love for him because they had given their, their love to false apostles and teachers. Again, if your mind is filled with error, you won't have room for the truth. So in his defense, Paul says, we have corrupted no one, we have exploited no one, and he was defending himself against false accusations. Paul supported himself as a tent maker. He exploited no one financially, and he taught scriptural truth. He corrupted no one spiritually. But in his kindness, Paul did not condemn the Corinthians for the way they had treated him. He shows mercy and love and tells them, I have great confidence in you. He thought the best about them because Paul wanted them, desired so much for them to grow in Christ. Verse 5 begins a new section. Remember, at one point, Paul did not want to return to the Corinthians because of their lack of trust in him and their continued disobedience. Paul had been intensely concerned about the church in Corinth because Satan had infiltrated the congregation and sought to destroy its witness in the community. But there was a much bigger concern at stake. The church in Corinth was a major church in a major city. If the Corinthians rejected Paul, then all the churches might reject him and the gospel message. Paul is under constant verbal attack. Perhaps he looked to Psalm 119.50, which states, My comfort in my suffering is this, your promise strengthens my life. And God did comfort and strengthen him by sending Titus, who has his own New Testament book named after him, to give a report. Paul's entire ministry hinged on the report from Titus, and Titus brought good news. The Corinthians were in fact longing to be with Paul. They had had a complete change of heart attitude and greatly desired to obey and follow him. Verses 8 through 11 refer to the corrective letter as taught in the book of 1 Corinthians, which instructed the Corinthians concerning wrong living, sexual sin, marriage and family, God's holy character, and yes, including <clears throat> idols and false gods. Paul wrote the letter because of the Corinthians' disobedience, and 2 Corinthians 2.4 says it was written with many tears. It was a very strongly worded letter, but it was necessary for Paul to write it. 
It grieved him to write it, and it grieved the Corinthians to read it, but in the end, he rejoiced that the letter accomplished what he had hoped. Verse 12 requires an explanation. It also refers to 1 Corinthians and the ongoing incestuous relationship of a young man with his stepmother. Paul recommends that the wrongdoer be put out of the church. This sin must not be tolerated or overlooked. For as Galatians 5.9 says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, or in other words, if not dealt with, sinful behavior can affect the moral standards of an entire church. Fortunately, in the case of the young man, he decided to forsake his sin and genuinely repented. Luke 15.10 says, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The Corinthians' goodwill towards this young man strengthened the unity of the church. Verses 12 through 16, despite intense spiritual warfare, God took Paul from his depressed state and brought him into joy. And Titus helped with this by sharing his joy because the people had been a blessing to him. The Corinthian church, where you, when you look where it came from, had made a huge turnaround. They showed obedience with fear and trembling, and Paul concludes by saying, stating that he has great confidence in the Corinthians. Come to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're introduced to believers who trusted in the promises of God. Even though they were living in great deprivation, they were so secure for their future that they could give generously in the present. These are the Macedonians spoken about in the first five <coughs> verses of chapter 8. Macedonia was a Roman province in northern Greece, and it included the churches of Thessalonica, Philippi, and Berea, as stated in verse 1. These believers lived in abject poverty, with intense suffering, and yet they gave with rich generosity, verse 2, pleading for the privilege of sharing, verse 4. Wow. How did they manage this? One commentator said, devout believers live above their circumstances. The Macedonian believers weren't thinking of themselves, they were thinking of other believers, people they had never met, the saints in Jerusalem. They were happy to give above their ability because of their devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, to his kingdom, to his church, and to their brothers and sisters in Christ, making them their first priority. 
The sincerity of their love was truly evident. Their giving was an act of worship. Now, in Jerusalem, the church had thousands of people, and many of whom were pilgrims who had come to Jerusalem for religious festivals and then never returned home. These people had no jobs, they had no homes, so they became a, a bit of a burden on the founding church members who themselves continued to suffer deprivation due to the ongoing persecution for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Their shops and businesses had failed because the unbelieving Jews shunned them. They had no source of income and many of them lost their homes. So we know that the Macedonian church lived in great poverty and we know that the Jerusalem church lived in great poverty. But the Corinthian church and the Corinthian people continued to flourish financially because they had two seaside harbors that brought in steady income. Yet, verse 6, despite a visit a year earlier from Titus, a year earlier, who was spearheading the collection for the saints in Jerusalem from the Corinthians, the giving had come to a standstill. Verse 7, Paul wanted their giving to be in harmony with the other Christian values that he saw in them, such as faith, knowledge of sound doctrine, earnestness, and love. If then the Corinthians were rich in Christ, they should finish the collection and express their love and thankfulness to Christ in their giving. For our dearest Lord Jesus is the supreme example of giving. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor on account of you, so that you might become rich through his poverty. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, you know, which means these believers had personally experienced and had come to know the grace that Jesus grants. Indeed, they were able to talk from experience and testify to the knowledge of his grace. And dear ladies, so are we able to proclaim that grace. We belong to Jesus Christ and receive from him untold spiritual and material blessings. Here the focus on grace encompasses many things in the fullness of our salvation, including Jesus' death and resurrection, his atoning work, peace with God, remission of sin, and the Lord's abiding presence. Grace means we can fully rely on Jesus as our perfect redeemer, our dearest friend, and our faithful intercessor. That though he was rich, he became poor on account of you. Jesus himself says in Matthew 8.20, Foxes of holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere in which to lay his head. Paul contrasts Jesus leaving the holiness and glory of heaven 
for the profanity and the poverty of earth. Because of our sin, the Lord Jesus in his great mercy voluntarily laid aside his heavenly glory and became materially poor while remaining spiritually rich. We are given the riches of forgiveness, of joy, of peace, of the gift of salvation, and the promise that we too will rise from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22. We are already spiritually rich in this life and rich beyond comparison in the life to come because we are heirs and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 8, 17. Moving on to verse 15, this verse was not discussed in our lesson, but it's important to examine it because it continues the theme of generosity and helping others. The verse is actually a quotation from Exodus 16, 18, and it's talking about the collection of manna by the children of Israel in the wilderness. And it tells that some were able to gather more than others and then shared it so that no one lacked what they needed. Again, the theme of generosity and sharing. In our final verses of 16 through 24, the Apostle Paul turns his attention to Titus. He trusts Titus to persuade the Corinthians to give with the proper heart attitude. Then Paul explains the manner in which the collection is to be handled. Titus, Titus will not go alone, but in the company of other believers chosen by the church. Paul wanted to protect his ministry, so he had others collect, carry, and distribute the funds. Paul wants to see proof of the Corinthians' love in action by their giving to the saints in Jerusalem, which will ultimately bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Thank you, dear Father God, for what you have taught us this morning in these two marvelous chapters. I pray a blessing on all the wonderful ladies that are here, and may we apply what we have learned to our lives and to our giving to bring you glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen.